DBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. Good morning, everyone, to Doubters Believers Alliance. Um, another Sunday. Uh, it's fall, and I really love this weather. Uh, it's not hot out. I know we're not out of the neck of the woods for summer yet, but it's really nice when you can go out your front door and feel a little nice breeze coming at you. Um, the leaves are falling, all that good stuff. So super excited that, uh, falls on its way. Maybe not so much winter, but fall is fantastic. Um, if you're looking at me and you're like, Brian, are you wearing a jersey? Yes. Yes, I am wearing a jersey, a Dalvin Cook jersey, because for any of my European friends, we have American football that starts today. Actually, the first game was on Thursday, but everyone else is playing today. So I'm going to try to make this a little quick. I have the game recorded on at home. Um, so when I get home, I'm going to watch it, kick back and watch football today. You're going to have DBA first. You can't, you can't forget that. Um, thanks, everyone, for watching. As always, uh, leave some comments. If you have any comments throughout uh, this talk today, um, we have a really uh, crazy, intense crowd here today. Not really. Um, no, we do appreciate everyone who does watch, though, um, watch DBA and interact. Uh, I will say this, if there's anything you ever want me to talk about, just send me um, a DM on the um, on our Instagram or leave a comment in here and I'll try to uh, get to that as quickly as I can. Because um, I've said before, sometimes when somebody has to talk every Sunday, sometimes it gets a little, um, you can get a little frazzled with what to come up with every every day because people know that this is not my job this is just something i love doing um i do have a day job 40 hours a week but i do this because i wanted this community to keep growing and keep getting bigger and i've always wanted to you know help people as best as i could and can and this is my little slice of doing that um also uh last night amanda and i went to go see lizzo that was fun. She played down at a casino about 45 minutes south of the cities here. And it was just really fun. Um, and I was telling her on the way home yesterday, it's really cool to see um, a woman of color and um, a bigger woman uh, just kill it and just rock the, rock the amphitheater. There was probably at least 20, 25,000 people there. And she was the first headliner ever um, in Treasure Island's history, uh, first woman headliner, which I think was fantastic. I will say it's not necessarily my kind of music that I usually get into, but my wife, Amanda, loves Lizzo, and it was just really fun to be there with her um, and just to see, you know, all the uh, how it just made women feel really good um, to see another woman up on stage um, just rocking it out. So that was really cool. And... Uh, maybe just go and support Lizzo, listen to some of her music. She does have some good stuff. And she she's not originally from Minnesota, but she kind of got her start in the music scene in the Twin Cities area. So she always has a soft spot. And that, as a lifelong Minnesotan, it feels really good when musicians want to come here and, you know, they feel really indebted to um, the cities area. It makes us feel good because everyone calls the Twin Cities flyover country, which is a bunch of horse shit, if you ask me, because it frustrates me, because this is my home. So, hey, shameless plug, come to come to the Twin Cities, we'll take care of you. Um, what else? Any news and notes? Oh, um, my laptop broke, so um, I've had a hell of a time trying to get some of my audio to Caleb, who do, who's uh, producing and editing the podcasts as usual, so we're on a couple week delay of having stuff come out. I just need to go buy a part and I've just been lazy enough not to go get it yet. So 
if you, it's always up here on Facebook. Um, you can always go back to our page and watch them if you haven't, or if you're more into wanting to listen to it on a podcast, uh, just be prepared that it's a couple weeks, a um, couple weeks leg behind. So, but it will happen. It will be up there. So, what I was going to talk about today, and like I said, it's going to be a little bit, I think, a quicker talk because I want to go home and watch football. But I was on my Instagram, and I've told you this before, a lot of people who have followed me on Instagram and I followed them, we share this kind of kindred bond of being an exvangelical. And that's just obviously fancy terminology for people who are not evangelicals anymore. And this isn't to bash evangelicalism as much as it to say, why have so many people left the church? Why have so many people left the evangelical movement? Um, and for anybody watching who doesn't understand some of all this terminology, within Christianity, there's different, I would say, um, I would, uh, it's not even like political parties, but in a way, it's almost like a political party. Um, evangelicalism is more conservative Christianity. So Pentecostal traditions, Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ, you have the Baptists, you have Evangelical Free Covenant, I could go on. Those are considered evangelical churches, and there's, there's more like that. Then you have Catholicism, which is its own thing. They're technically Protestants, but they like to say that they're Catholics and just be that because they were the first church. And then there's um, um, there's uh, uh, Protestantism, which you would look at, mind you, even evangelicals fit into that, but Protestantism would say it's more like high churches. So UCC, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Anglican, which Anglican is technically Catholic, but when the Catholics from Britain moved over to America, uh, they became Anglican um, and not necessarily Catholic. So you have all that kind of a little church background. But um, I've noticed that a lot of my posts on Instagram have uh, gotten traction when I talk about evangelicalism with my issues within evangelicalism because that's that's my crowd, that's my people, that's that's maybe my niche. And I was kind of talking to a couple people this week just through conversations at work and on the phone and I was really kind of struggling what to talk about and they were like, well, just talk about where's everyone, where, where did everyone go? And that kind of just, kind of just, uh, my antennae kind of came up on my head. I'm like, no, that's really good because people don't realize, and this isn't just because of COVID that people aren't going to back to church and groves, but even before the pandemic, you have saw a huge decrease in people going to church, um, specifically in evangelical churches, but you've also seen it in Protestant mainline churches as well. Um, and this is nothing new. The first note I want to make, this is nothing new when you look at, uh, at church growth or church decrease. Anything, everyone knows that history is like a pendulum or cyclical. You start at one point and you go around and it'll eventually get to that point again. But I would say church, what's going on in the American church, because I can only speak to the American church since I'm an American in America, and I've studied this, these trends a lot. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to stuff like that, um, just because a lot of people don't know. But it's a pendulum because I would say back in like the 60s into like the mid 70s to late so into that 20 years, we were in a very secular society. Uh, it was the free sex and drug movement of our parents or even some of our grandparents. And uh, I just got a comment. Ava says, love dad, dad, best daddy ever. Well, thank you. I have to, I have to say that. So they're at home watching. Um, but so it, it's a pendulum because those same people, once they were done partying and free sex and, you know, empowerment, um, then they, you know, then the 80s and 90s, it became super cool 
and important to go to church. To So the same people that were against church, against the patriarchy, against, you know, you had the rise of feminism, which I support, um, and women taking back their bodies from men, you know, at this time, Roe versus Wade in the 70s came out. Um, but now you saw, like, in the 80s and the 90s, and even, I would say, into the mid-2000s, you saw this, like, everyone went to church and it was just important and it was community. And then you had like the emerging church trying to make church cool again. And you had authors being like, let's live intentional community. Let's do this. Let's do that. But now you have seen, and I, I forget the statistic where I think it's in the Pew research or, and then there's the Barna group, which the Pew research is very, uh, it's not religious in its um, background. Barna, I know George Barna is a Christian. He was a pastor, but he has um, the Barna group, which he does studies church trends and things like this. And I found it fascinating. This this was from, I want to say, November of 19 or 20. Um, it was just hard to do a lot of these polls and statistics during COVID. But it was something like over 50% of Gen Z individuals um and this is the first generation in probably, I don't know, 30 to 50 years. This is the first generation that the Gen Z, that church is not important to them. Church is not a number one thing. When you look at what's the most important thing in your life, church might be three, might be four, might be five. It might not even be any. But closely behind that is millennials, which is I'm at the beginning of that, um, as they say, geriatric millennials, which I don't like. But we are the first two generations in a long, long, long time that have literally said, yeah, we're not saying that Christianity is not real. We're not saying Jesus isn't real. But we're just saying, like, this church thing, it is what it is. Like, it's not for us. It's, it's, it's cool for you if you want to do that. Hey, mom, grandpa, you know, sibling, if you want to go there. All, all you know great for you but don't don't say that i have to or don't push that on me and but it's like a pendulum like this is this is nothing new and i was talking to my wife about this even yesterday in our drive home from the show that like this isn't new when you see this pendulum swing when you study church trends or even when you study church history for hundreds of years not just in america but all over europe and other parts of the world you see places and cultures where they get really on fire for God and the church. And then 10, 15, 20 years later, they're a very secular society. And then something happens. I don't know. Or it's just maybe a new generation comes on where then they bring church back. So this, what we're seeing happening in America, I'm not saying that uh, it's going to be over in 10 or 15 years, but it isn't something that, worries me it's just like this is what happens this is what happens i'm so i'm involved in it too i'm not a fan of evangelicalism i've i've deconstructed a lot of the things which is normal and me i don't know maybe 20 years from now i'm more conservative again i don't know and i think it's uh, a misnomer to say oh well i'm this crazy progressive liberal or leftist now or a socialist and to say that you're going to be that in 20, 30, 40 years is it's kind of ridiculous because we don't we don't we don't know that. And we don't know how we're going to be 20 to 30 years from now. But I will say, where have all the people gone or where did everyone go? They've left the church because the church in the American context, as we see it right now, is just not relevant. It's not relevant to people and to the younger generations. Um. I already went through a lot of my points, and I'm only 15 minutes in. Why not? Uh, but why do the younger generations retreat away from the church? And I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of these things, not in length, but just to show you kind of why. And this is not an exhaustive list, uh, but it's just some bullet points that I think are important. Um, hypocrisy, first one. Uh, we all know what hypocrisy is. I'm not up here to give you definitions, but hypocrisy is when, let's say, the pastor of your church or leaders of your church, whoever they are, tell you to do one thing, live your life like this, and then they don't live their life like that. 
case in point for for instance you you see a lot a lot of these health and wellness or prosperity churches where you have the pastor wearing thousands of dollars worth of you know fine fine uh, suits or blazers or fancy hats or scarves they're driving a 60 to $100,000 car they're asking you to give money to the church while you're wallowing in bills up to your eyeballs and you're like what the heck where is this or a lot of times in the church you see people you hear about purity culture like sexual purity and they're ramming it down your throat like hey you need to not do this you need to break up with this person but yet that pastor is going to strip clubs getting prostitutes um, watching so much porn it's ridiculous it's the hypocrisy and you see that i mean you, you just a couple people that names come up into my head you you've seen like uh who is that in the 80s jamie swagger you see um you see like a lot of the health and wellness people are name a claimant like kenneth copeland you see joyce meyer all these people like td jakes you see all these people who are saying hey give us money give us money god's gonna make you wealthy and do all this stuff and it's hypocrisy because a it's not biblical and everything they're telling you how to live your life they are not living it in general so that's another that's one big reason why people younger generations have left the church another one is judgmentalism and my biggest issue within the church and this 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 i would say this isn't just for evangelicalism but i would say this this is for the church universal so no matter what denomination what side of the proverbial church thing you align with people aren't going to church because they're sick and tired of getting judged um because the church you've heard the analogy many many times is the church is supposed to be a hospital the church is supposed to be someplace you go when you're hurting you don't go to a hospital when you're feeling fine you don't go to the clinic if everything you're you know everything in your life is going peachy keen you go to the hospital or you go to a clinic because you know something's wrong with you and you need the help but when and so i would i mean and i love when people watch dba and i love it when people come up here in in live but i understand that some people don't because maybe their maybe their spiritual life maybe their 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 life is full and they're living life to the greatest i'm not gonna bat an eye if you don't show up or you watch because this is supposed to be like a hospital this is supposed to be a place where you come and and you get the help that you need and maybe you get you know your fill up for the week but so often people come to the church maybe i mean how awesome would the church be if you had pastors or leaders and a woman comes in and she was like hey uh my boyfriend raped me uh, I need the help, keep it confidential, but what should I do? Can you help me? How great would it be if the church is like, okay, let's get the help you need. We need to talk to the proper people, proper authorities, you know, let's take you to the hospital or to the clinic. And maybe some churches do, but that woman, unfortunately, is going to have a stigma. People are going to know, words are going to finally get out like, oh, blah, 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 got raped. Or uh, what if someone is gay? They come out, or maybe their son or daughter comes out, and it's a prominent family in the church. And they're like, this is my son or my daughter. I support them. And then you hear people at the church, did you hear so-and-so's kid is gay, blah, blah, blah. And it's this judgmentalism. It's it's the the judging of not being, not someone uh, being happy with who you are. I mean, you, you put anything in there, drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, uh, divorce, you know, all in the in the tradition I grew up in in the AG, it was extremely. When I was a kid, it was extremely uh, faux pas to be divorced. But now, even in evangelical circles, I would say half of your church is divorced because in our culture now, divorce isn't that big of a thing because even even super conservative Christians get divorced. And I'm not saying divorce is necessarily a bad thing, but in so many tra- so many traditions growing up, divorce was like, oh, you don't get divorced. Like, 
the husband, like, you can't control your wife or, or wife, what did you do to your husband to do that? Like, that was the mentality. So even now within evangelicalism, like, this whole idea of divorce has become super, super normal. You've normalized it. Uh, but how about we normalize not judging people? Uh, because I don't, and we all do it. I judge people sometimes, but guess what? Those, per, that person, that family, they don't have to, they don't have to meet my expectations. They don't have to meet my standards. I'm just Brian. Like I have my flaws and, and my faux pas, but how about we stop the judging? Another one is legalism. That's case in point. Don't be legalistic. I'm not going to go much into that, but we know what legalism is, so let's not be legalistic. Another one that a lot of people, um, a lot of them, a lot of ones I've just said are kind of, uh, you're like, duh, like that kind of makes sense. But this one um, is really good. And I know, Amanda, I said I'm not going to look at a book, but if you can do this because you're at home working on the notes, there's this amazing book called The Sin of Certainty by the author Pete Enns. And the last name is E-N-N-E-S. And he's a scholar, he's a teacher, um, and he wrote a book a number of years ago called The Sin of Certainty. And the whole thrust of the book is literally to say, when Christians say, cert, like, like they're certain, and this kind of helped me on deconstruction too, when they're like, I know Jesus died and rose again. I know that Christ will return and rescue his church. We have these truth claims, but we're certain about it. He says, it's actually a sin when you talk like that. It's a sin to have language like that because no one is certain. We don't, we don't have certainty. And I know a lot of my family and friends who are conservative, this is going to ruffle feathers. But it's true. Look, the whole Bible that we talk about and we claim to follow, it's, it's all, it, it is all uh, faith. And in faith, there is no certainties. Even if you, you can say to your blue in the faith, well, I'm certain this happened and I'm certain that story happened. And I'm, and I'm certain that this person existed. No, you're not certain. You, you're hopeful. You have strong desires. You have strong reverberations of why you want that to be truth. And I know, you know, some people in my family are like, oh, that's very postmodernistic of you. And, you know, postmoderns are like, there's no absolute truth. Yeah, I'm, I'm a card-carrying postmodern individual because that was the world I was raised into. And the scholarship that I was taught is very, not modernistic, but very postmodern. And that's another sidebar is we're actually going past postmodernism right now. It's a little philosophy lesson for free. And it's either called uh, post-postmodernism or meta-modernism or meta-postmodernism, which is we're looking at how all three of postmodernism, modernism, and pre-modernism have failed as frameworks, and now we're going past that. So very interesting stuff within theology or philosophy. But so the certainty, when we say certain things about our our faith or about Christianity. And it's not just Christianity that this is. It's 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 in all religions. It's in Islam. It's in Judaism. It's in even even like Hindu religion, even in Buddhists. Certain places are maybe growing, but religion is very toxic to a lot of people because and Christianity is no different is because the younger generations are like you preach that Everything in life is uncertain, right? Your job is uncertain. Your marriage is uncertain. You don't know uh, what's going to happen the next day to the next. We know that. We teach our kids that. I teach my kids that. But then why when it comes to a religion? And why is it when it comes to a person's faith that you can't, you can't say that it's not certain? You, you have to say it's factual. And I would say a lot of it is because people are scared. People are nervous. They're like, this life is so shitty. This life is so terrible. The only thing I have, 
to look forward to when I die is to go to heaven, to be with Jesus, to be with my loved ones who's passed. And I'm not saying that that might not happen. We don't know. But I'm saying it's the certainty that is the, the, the problem. And it's not just for me that that happened to. I've talked to a lot of friends from seminary, friends from college, friends that I work with who used to be involved in church as little kids. And they would they would say things like this. They didn't use the word certain, but they were like, I, I had issues with the concept of hell. I had the issue with, you know, uh, churches that I grew up in were very against the GLBTQ, you know, IA plus community. And like they were so certain that their view is right. And then if I had any questions, so they were like, we just left because we didn't understand why as the church was supposed to be a hospitable place that they weren't. So certainty is another reason why younger generations are leaving church and grows. Um, and it kind of goes under the next one. Um, not being able to question certain doctrines or to question authority. This could be a whole talk in and of itself, but the reason a lot of people are leaving is because you can't question authority or doctrine. And I'm going to pick on my old denomination that I grew up on just because that was my denomination for 17 years. Um, the Assemblies of God. There's people that I know in the Assemblies of God who are great men and women, great Christians, some of them are ministers, some of them are missionaries. I'm not going to poo-poo on that. If God's using them, God's using them. That's great. I'm not here to bash that. However, what I'm here to bash is the thing that they have called the 16 fundamental truths. And we have a lot of denominations where they'll be like, here's our statement of faith. That's normal. Uh, in a way, DBA has a statement of faith That's or a statement of how we do things. That's that. That's not wrong at all we all do it but what's funny is when you're when you become a member of any denomination you, you go through like a membership class and they're kind of like this is the background of our denomination these are like our sacraments that we do these are kind of the doctrines that are non-negotiable sign on the dotted line if you want to join well the 16 fundamental truth is they will say to us in this denomination, these 16 fundamental truths are the core of our teachings and is the core of our denomination. And if you want to be a member, you have to agree, not just to believe them, but to practice them. And I find it really funny because you go to, there's some big mega churches in this country that are AG, flashy lights, flashy music. You know, it's like going to a rock concert. The teaching might be really good. You might have this really uh, passionate pastor or passionate missionary that comes in. And people are like, I like this church. I dig it. Okay, cool. But then you can't really be a part of that church because you don't believe in these 16 fundamental truths. And one thing that I, I can honestly say that I never got or gravitated to or it was just utter bullshit to me in the in in the assemblies of god in one of the fundamental truths they have uh speaking in tongues is one of their fundamental truths they're a very pentecostal church and that goes all the way back to the book of acts where tongues of fire came upon the people in the other upper room so pentecostals especially assemblies of god they will say they're an acts 2 church because this happened in acts 2 but in, in their fundamental truths, and this is just shows you how we all nitpick on things in the Bible, case in point, um, they say that speaking in tongues is the, fir is the first initial evidence that you've received the Holy Spirit. And in the AG's tradition, and you're going to have people that will be like, no, no, Brian, you're misinterpreting that. No, I went to an Assemblies of God Bible College. I had to take Pentecostal distinctives, which is like, this is who we are. And they lay it out quite, quite clearly that this is their view. And if you're a part of this denomination, you have to buy into it. And it literally says, once you become a Christian, bam, you're sanctified, you're a Christian. However, 
you're not fully there. You're not fully saved. You're not fully sanctified until you ask for the gift of tongues. And then once you get the gift of tongues, which could be that next day or it could be a hundred years down the road, then that's when you're this full, the full Holy Spirit is upon you. And if you, most evangelical churches and most churches in general are Trinitarian, where they believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all, they're three distinct, but three in one, right? But in the Assemblies of God, where this breaks down is they're saying that they're Trinitarian, but yet in the Bible, it's like when you believe in God, automatically right there at that moment, you believe in God, you believe in Christ, and you believe in the Holy Spirit. It's all living inside of you. But the AG has made it different and said, no, you're not really fully sanctified. You're not really firmly a Christian until you get the gift of tongues. And then when you get the gift of tongues, that is the evidence that will show everyone else in the church and in the world that now you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I'm here to tell you that is utter bullshit. It's bullshit. Come at me with comments. Come at me with whatever you want. Like, you just look at it from the outside perspective. Like, I would ask my friends who are AG right now just to step back and look at that doctrine, go to the scriptures, and see how laughable it is. I'm not saying you can't speak in tongues, but to tell people we believe something that happened thousands of years ago, we hold to our movement, our brand of Christianity, that this is true. And really, there's maybe two instances in all of the New Testament where people's actually spoke in tongues. And actually, Paul, in his epistles, he, out of all the gifts that you can have, down at the bottom, kind of right at the end, he says, gift of speaking in tongues. Because the gifts that God wants is to edify the community. But the gift of speaking in tongues is very self-serving. It's your way of saying to God or to the angels or whatever God is to you, this like secret like prayer thing. And so that's just one thing. Like I was never able in my church to properly uh, disbelieve in that or to properly question authority. And the one time, and I've said this before too, the one time I questioned authority was when we had this like purity culture, I don't know, lock-in, where the men all met with the youth pastor and the other, and other people, and the women met with, with the youth pastor's wife and so on and so forth, and the leaders. And my pastor, Friday night, of course, we're kids, we all get hopped up on video games and ping pong and pool and Mountain Dew and pizza, all this great stuff as, as what they do. remember this pastor was saying and I'm not going to name him but he was just he was slamming and he was damning our bodies and I was saying how how bad it is to question our own sexuality and these and a lot of these kids who were in the youth group were brought as friends brought as guests they were friends from the community probably had no religious background or no whatever their parents were probably like hey you can go to church and have a free sleep like a lock-in and it's a date night for your mom and dad and i or whatever and i remember this kid vividly i was maybe in 10th grade so i'm dating myself but he had said you know why why am i going through puberty why am i horny why is it that I want to express myself some way. I'm not saying I want to go have sex with a woman uh, or, or do anything inappropriate like that. But I remember him saying, like, why, why can't I masturbate? Why is that wrong? Why is that evil? And my youth pastor just went into this whole time. You know, your body's a temple. That's for your future spouse. You're taking that away from them. Blah, 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 blah. And I, everything inside me, even now, Right now, my stomach or my heart is racing like crazy because I know for a fact 
that my youth pastor at the time, the leaders at that time, were masturbating or looking at porn. Because conversations get around. So you're going around saying that it's wrong for anybody to question or deal with their own taking ownership of their autonomous self and their own sexuality and their own sex drive. And you're saying in front of all these other people, it is wrong and it is evil for you to even masturbate yourself. And more what it was, was these students or these pastors were mad that kids not much younger than them were questioning the authority, were questioning the narrative, were questioning, you're saying that it's bad to do this, why? Show me scripture, show me evidence. They never showed scripture evidence. They were like, well, it's just bad because then if you masturbate, well, then how are you not going to have sex with someone? Or how are you not going to look at porn? How are you not going to do this? And it, it just, it, it breaks down. And I remember saying to my youth pastor, and this is how I got kicked out of the youth group in a lot of ways, and or asked not to come back, is I, I, I put my youth pastor to task. I questioned him in front of everyone. I didn't try to usurp his authority, but I was like, that is wrong. I was like, I would rather have a young man masturbate in his own private spot, bathroom, his room, then go out and have sex with all these women. I would rather have him masturbate than go to strip clubs or watch all this porn. But, and I said that, and my youth pastor got mad. He got up in my face. He's like, you can't say that. And I remember looking at him in the eye afterwards, and I said, I know what you did. I know the background. Like, truth comes out. Things come out. And I'm like, you're a hypocrite. Once I went back, like why I said people are not coming to church. It's because they were saying all these things were bad. You shouldn't do them. We're doing them, but we're getting paid to tell you that you shouldn't do that. The other thing real quick within that, the question and authority part, I've always had an issue with hell. I always have. If, I, if I'm honest with myself, since I was a little kid, the idea and the concept of hell has tormented me, not because I really think it's real, because I, and especially as I'm a parent, and I will say this to anybody watching who is a parent, how in the world can you believe in a God, in a deity, that if you believe that he died on the cross, and he even says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He literally says that. And he's not speaking just to the people there at the crucifixion. He's speaking this into existence. He's saying every person that will ever exist from before me to after me, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. There's a reason why we're talked about as sheep in the New Testament. Sheep are very dumb animals, very dumb animals. And yes, Jesus loves us, but he also calls it like it is. You guys are not that smart of people, whether you think so or not. And really, and I always questioned hell. I was always on the fence about it. But then when I became a father four years ago, and when I was in the hospital room with my wife, when she gave birth to our daughter, and every emotion that I felt holding my daughter for the first time. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now just saying that. It was like instantly in my head and in my thought, I was like, I can, there's nothing that my daughter can do that will make me love her any less from the, at this exact moment till the, you know, I tell people, if she commits a crime, yeah, she has to do the crime. If she gets like a DUI, she has to do the, the, the crime. If she murders someone, I'm going to be saddened and hurt and mad and question, why did you do these things? But I'm not going to love her any less. So why in the heck do you believe in a God that will say, oh, you don't love me the way that I said that you should love me? and you didn't leave, live this life the way pastors told you should live, 
then depart from me. You're going to burn in hell for all of eternity. No ifs, ands, or buts. No do-overs. Depart from me. I never knew you. I'm sorry. That is not a loving God. And this is my hot take, pun intended. There, I just, I, if you, if you are a Christian and you believe in eternal conscious torment and you say that God's loving, there's one of those, one of those statements that you said is not factual and is not right. And that's up to you to decide what that is. I'm sorry. Like that is that that is a hill I will die on. I will from this point forward say that to people. Like there is nothing. Like my daughter was at her grandma's for the last two nights, so Amanda and I could go to our concert and have just you know a date night. I loved my time away from my kid, but there was this emptiness in my heart, this emptiness in my soul that desperately, desperately missed my daughter. And when I saw her walk through the door this morning when Amanda went to pick her up and I saw her, it was just this feeling of euphoria, this feeling of like my kid is home, my child is back. And anybody out there who has kids knows what I'm talking about. So why in the world do you believe in a God or does someone believe in a God that will be like, well, you know, you had your chance in life and you didn't heed what our pastor said or what this religion said so now you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity and that goes back everyone to people are leaving the church because they cannot ask questions case in point one of my favorite writers Rob Bell he was in the church he was a powerhouse he was a big boy within it and when he wrote his book Love Wins holy crap the church literally crucified him because he asked questions. He asked questions. He asked about the doctrine of hell. He asked about why is it anybody's business at who goes to hell or you even goes to heaven? Why is that your business? It is not your business. And what happened to the evangelical church world? They turned on him. They literally ran him out of Michigan, where he was from, or where he was at in Grand Rapids. They, and I'm not saying he was a perfect person or he didn't have flaws, or I'm not saying if he was narcissistic or arrogant, that's not the point. But he questioned things. And in one of his last books, he, he was talking about this, where he was, he was saying about how when he was writing that book back in 2011 and he gave the manuscript to some people that he knew who were ministered and they literally told him this is the end of your ministry career if you publish this it's the end you're done you're, you can't come back from this and that's sad that's sad because guess what guys guess what theologians do they question guess what philosophers do they question things they look at things they oh what this but why is it when ministers and pastors question the narrative, they question a whole host of things, is it that's, that it's wrong? You want to know why people are leaving the church, especially the evangelical world. You are not letting them have a safe place for them to ask questions, for them to doubt. I literally saw someone on Facebook has this picture of Jesus. It was back from Easter, and it was like the back. It was like a. It was like somebody, uh, like an artist drawing, just like a sketch. And there was somebody. It was Jesus on the cross, and on the cross, on the back of the cross, it had all these words of why Jesus died for us, and really big, almost in the center of the cross, it said doubt, and that's one of the reasons that. Jesus had to die for us was because we had doubt. Come on. Come on. We as human beings have doubt in everything in our lives. We do. If we're doubtful, doubt is a feeling. Doubt is an emotion. It's, it's something that has you. 
I have two tattoos on my ankle. One says faith, one says doubt. People ask me, Brian, why do you have that? Because I said, you have to have both in life to be a grounded human being. And that's why I got them on my, my heels. Because your feet ground you to the ground. I have faith on one ankle because I have faith in my life. Because I, I chose to, to believe in this God character. But I also have doubt because I am not so naive and stupid to think that faith is going to solve everything in my day-to-day -day life. It's not. People are, do not want to come to church anymore because the church is not a hospitable place. It is not a place where you can ask questions. It is not a place you can ask some questions. You can question like, hey, pastor, why did you say this? Or, hey, I didn't like that you maybe didn't say this. Yeah, but my biggest issue, and this is the reason why I left the UCC, I started asking questions that they were uncomfortable with. I started pushing back on control. I started asking, why, why do you do the things that you do? Why are your policies and procedures this way? Well, this is how we've always done it, Brian. Well, if you've always done it for the last 20, 30, 40 years, don't you think you should maybe start going back to the drawing board and rethink things? Maybe, AG, if you have 16 fundamental truths and you know a lot of people in your denomination aren't living those 16 fundamental truths, maybe you should go back to the drawing board as the denomination and say, hmm, are these inclusionary or they are exclusionary? Are they keeping people within our church or is it people are leaving our church? And I will say this, I don't know about other religions, but I know with Christianity, we kill our wounded. We kill the, the, the searchers. When we are in a denomination and we're drinking the Kool-Aid and we're agreeing with everything, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Welcome into our community. We love you. Praise Jesus for you. But as soon as you start asking questions, as soon as you start saying, hey, it's control, uh, they're controlling the narrative, they're doing this, and you say that to people in authority, you're going to be shown the door. And people are going to say, you're divisive, you're full of disunity, we don't want you in here. And it's all because you're asking questions. You're simply asking questions to understand The last thing, I got a, got a little heated, so I'm sorry. <laughs> People will say, though, Brian, what do you do with community? Isn't the, the crux of being church, the community, of being in community? You're absolutely correct. That is what the church is about. It's supposed to be community. I mean, Jesus literally says, like, he creates the church. The 12 disciples and him in his ministry is that is the church. And people might say, well, and I said to my mom the other day, you do not, I'm not just saying to her, but I was like, you, it's a corporate you, you do not have to go to church every Sunday in order to be a Christian. Church is in community. Community is not the church. Community is the makeup of the individuals who believe in this God character and this deity, they try to live it out in the best way that they can, and then they go do those teachings. The church is not a building. The, the church is not somewhere where you need to go and be like, I need to wear my suit. I need to wear my dress. We need to go out to dinner afterwards. And these hour or two hour you know, services on Sunday or Wednesday, like we're going to church. If that is your concept of church, go back to the New Testament and reread it and reread it again until you look at what Jesus says, uh, this is what community is. Community is this, is DBA. We're at a bar restaurant in uptown neighborhood of Minneapolis where people are out right on the other side of this wall bowling and having food and having some cocktails and we're all probably going to start watching football soon. That is community. Going to a bar. When Curtis comes over to my house and we watch a football game and we have a couple beers and we're watching football and we're talking about God, that is community. 
that is church. If you go to a concert, uh, one of my favorite bands of all time is Under Oath. And their story about them is they were this crazy on fire Christian band, this hardcore metal band. They, I mean, they were the the darlings of Christian, uh, like emo core, hardcore music. And then they disappeared. They broke up back in 2015 or 16. And then they came back like two or three years later. And they're totally not the same band. They curse in their music. They, they have very uh, disheartening lyric, not lyrics, but stories. And they said it was the church that killed us. It was the church that killed us. And the lead singer, and I'm not saying anything that people who follow him don't know, he was struggling with drugs. He was struggling with cocaine on a tour. And you know what happened? He was like, when we were on Warp Tour with all these non-Christian bands, with all these bands who were atheistic, who were so ungodly, they're the ones who were like, hey, man, hey, Spencer, which is his name, how are you doing? How can we help you? Maybe after the tour, you need to go to rehab. What can, what can we do for you, brother? And all the Christians who listen would send horrible, horrible uh, comments to him. Churches that they would play at, festivals that they would play at, would cancel because this lead singer of this band was struggling with cocaine addiction. Don't say that you're loving. Don't say that you're full of grace. Don't say that you're not a a hypocrite when that is exactly how we're acting. You want to know why people aren't coming into your church. You want to know why whatever Assemblies of God or whatever Baptist church or either whatever congregational church or Episcopal church, why people could care less about your sermon, people could care less if you're wearing a robe or you have this angelic choir singing or you have an awesome rock band playing. If a person is not giving a, a place to question, if a person isn't given a place where they their, their questions and their doubts are welcomed, where they're not valued, where their story, their essence of who they are isn't valued, isn't appreciated. That is why people aren't coming to your church. That is why people aren't, and, I, and I've said to people, and I will die on this hill too, people don't have a problem with Jesus. Let me make that clear. Younger generations, and even myself, we have no problem with Jesus. We have a problem with the Christians who proclaim him. We have a problem with the pastors who proclaim him that don't live the way you the way you say that they're supposed to live, the way that the Bible, the way that Jesus tells us we're supposed to live. And people are going to say, well, Brian, I need to, as a pastor or as a pastor, I need to tell people that they're sinning. Do you? Do you? Because what did Jesus say? I just talked about this last week. You, without sin, cast the first stone. He was saying that to the Pharisees. But who were the Pharisees? Come on, it's going back to Bible class. The religious people, the people who know the law, the people who taught the law, a.k.a. the pastors of today, the leaders of today. You, without sin... You can cast the first stone. And I will say this last thing. Why are people leaving the church? The church is not relevant to us anymore. Let me say that again. The church, the concept, the idea of church is just not relevant to us anymore. You did not hear me say Jesus isn't relevant. You didn't hear me say community. You didn't say you didn't hear me say uh, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you look in the Bible, Jesus talks a lot about being judgmental, about being legalistic, 
about being a hypocrite. Because if you do those things, you are not part of that community. You're not part of the community of Christianity. You're in your own other thing. And I say this to people, and this is my passion, and this is my heart. A lot of people, a lot of my friends over the years who have deconverted, who are atheists or agnostics, you have conversations with them, and most of the reasons why they're where they're at in their life now is because they had pastors, they had denominations who said that they had the certainty, they said they had the right doctrines, but they didn't accept these people for their lack of belief, for their doubt, for their struggles, whatever that is. And so therefore they're like, there is no God. And I look back and say, I don't think that's accurate. I'm never going to tell someone that they're not right. But I'm going to look at them and say, you know what? You don't have a problem with Jesus. And I don't even think you have a problem with his teachings. What you have a problem with is the church. And I said this before, and it's my favorite quote by Gandhi, because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. One comment I'm going to read is from our dear brother, Scotty Williams. And since he's a pastor himself as well, he said, The things you mention are also reasons that pastors are leaving ministry. And Scotty, the reason I brought that quote up, and I could read more, but for the sake of time, and Brian wanted to watch football, I'll just say this. People don't realize either that people are leaving the pastorate in, in droves. I mean, I would love to write a book from pastors who have left Christianity, who have either deconverted, I'm talking about pastors, missionaries, uh, lay people, professors, who have left Christianity. And I've had several people, friends of mine who I won't name, who have left Christianity, who have deconverted because of these simple things that I'm saying. You might come at me and you might say, Brian, you're just angry. You're you're passionate, but you're angry. You're off base. No, no. I'm just not drinking the Kool-Aid anymore because I'm like, this tastes sour. This is flat. Something's wrong. I'm taking a step back and I'm seeing it for how it really is. And Ray, you just wrote, I'm one one of those pastors who have left. And maybe that maybe you didn't want to. Maybe you were forced out. Maybe maybe it was good. I'm not saying to anybody, maybe it was good that you left. Maybe it was toxic. Maybe it was heartbreaking. And I've said this to Scotty since you were just here a couple weeks back. I've said it to my wife. I've said it to my family. I was rejected by the conservative church of my upbringing. So I went to a mainline liberal denomination and I was rejected by them because I asked questions, because I've chose to get tattoos, because I don't choose to wear nice suits and hats or Gap or Abercrombie to church, that I choose to wear blue jeans and band t-shirts to church. I, I question things. I, I tell people, why can't we question? Why can't we ask why we do policies and procedures different ways? And people don't realize that ministers all as well are leaving in droves because they just can't handle it anymore. They are sick of perpetuating a lie. They are sick of perpetuating, I cannot stand up here preaching to people about not doubting the validity of Jesus. I can't preach to people and telling them that they need to believe in hell, a hell that I don't even believe in anymore. And why, and there's actually, um, I forget, I don't know what it's exactly called, but there's a, a group on Facebook, and I actually have a couple friends who are in it who've reached out to me. And the only reason I haven't, accepted to go in there is because I still believe in in Jesus. I'm not an atheist. I'm more agnostic in a lot of ways, but I'm not an atheist. 
but it's a private group of ministers, of theologians, of lay people who just can't do it anymore. Who just can't do it anymore. And it's a safe place. You can say why you deconverted. You can say why you're struggling. And my, I guess my other thing would say, why, why don't we talk to those people? Why can't we hear their stories? Maybe that's something I'll do in Sacred Collective as my next stretch of interviews of people who have left the church, of ministers who have left the church because they just can't do it anymore. I know I said I was going to do short, and it's almost an hour in, and I'm going to be late to watch football, but guess what? This is more important. I care more about you guys, and I care more about this community and saying things that are hopefully are impactful and powerful to people. As always, um, this this will be up really shortly. Um, if you can't watch it live, it'll be up. It's always up on our, on our thing. Um, yes, Ray, I would uh, pass on the details to you for that group. I want to double check with the people that um, I know that they're accepting people. Um, and I forgot it off the top of my head. But I do know the people that I can talk to who can give me that information um, that I could plug along to you, Ray. So I'll, uh, that will be my homework assignment for this week to let you know. Anyway, um, thanks for watching. As always, we love you, this community. We can't do it without you. I, From the bottom of my heart, I just really hope that if you like what we do here, just pass it on. I'm not asking for money or donations because I'm doing this out of you know, my own pocket. It's not a big deal. But if you really like what we're doing and you, you're impacted by it and you might know someone who else is impacted by it, just please, please um, spread the word because that's how Doubters Believers Alliance is going to grow, um, how people can tune into us. So until next time, uh, love one another. Be nice to everyone. Have a good day.